You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Amen. That was good. Thank you, Heath and Diana. Already truth right away this morning. So, hey, you, having a tough time today? Having a bad day? Having a rough week? Heavy things happening in your life? Jesus never fails. We could just preach that and be done. He loves you. cares about you. He knows what you're going through. He knows your heaviness. He knows your frustration. He never fails. Just rely on him. That was good. All right, <clears throat> let's straighten up here. <clears throat> Get your Bibles out if you would. Turn to Micah. Micah chapter 7. It's towards the back of the Old Testament. Micah chapter 7. And we'll stand here in a moment. A pastor had uh, asked me a couple weeks ago uh, to if I would be available to preach uh, this morning. And the funny thing is, so I do Sunday school, so I'm always studying for Sunday school, but I don't always necessarily have a, a, a sermon ready to go. Um, but I had been reading and I've been reading through Micah and the passage we got to, or that we'll talk about this morning, I had gotten to and it stuck with me that morning and I just kind of kept thinking about it all day and uh, kind of meditating on it and doing a little bit more reading about it and it just, just out of the blue before Pastor had asked me and then the very next day he comes like, hey, can you preach here in a couple weeks? I'm like, all right, I guess that's it right there. Uh, so the Lord, he never fails even when you have to teach and preach and get up and give some some message to somebody he's uh he's there he provides and i it's real and it's you know we we take a lot we take for granted a lot of times the realness of the lord um, because we can't see him right and, and it doesn't necessarily always be tangible to us but he is real and he provides and when we follow him and obey him he always always provides and he never fails so i i didn't know they were singing that they didn't know what passage i was going to but again the Lord always works things out. It's, it's, it's real. That's the best way I can say it. All right, so if you'd stand with me, Micah chapter 7. Hopefully you found it by now. Uh, Micah chapter 7. We're going to just read uh, verses 18 through the end of the chapter there. So Micah chapter 7, verse number 18. The Bible says, Who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity, and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his, of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for church, Lord. Thank you for a place that we can gather together with fellow believers and have fellowship with one another, come and hear songs of praise, giving glory to you, singing about who you are, about the truth that is you, reminding us as your children how you love us, how you take care of us. Lord, I pray that the next few moments here this morning will bring glory to you, bring honor to you, will help us get in the headspace of you are real and you're in our lives and care about our lives. 
Lord, and I do pray if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know that about you, that doesn't know how much you love them, that doesn't know that you came and died on a cross for their sins so you could spend eternity with them, that they will come to that knowledge today, that they will make the choice to accept the gift that you've provided and have a home in heaven with you forever. Lord, bless my tongue. Help me to say the things that you would have me say that will help your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So as I mentioned, going through this and just regular Bible reading, Micah, and I was talking to Brother Mark Ledoux this morning, Micah, Micah is a little bit of a heavy book. Um, Israel is in a pretty bad place here in Micah. Um, and Micah, is, he's, he's preaching to people that don't want to hear what he has to say. Micah the prophet is giving a lot of advice and a lot of warnings, and Israel's just blowing him off. Brushing the words he says aside as if they don't matter, as if they're not real. Um, and, you know, giving a little background on Micah, and that's what we're going to do here first, is just kind of give a little background of what led up to these verses at the end, and maybe even some comparisons to where America might be. And before you get too excited about, like, yeah, let's, let's get where we are, remember, we are part of America, right? And we live here, and part of the issues that we have here in America can be pinned on us as Christians. And that's where Micah is with Israel. He is, he's preaching against a lot of the things that they're doing. And even just in chapter 7, he is going through Israel um, and really kind of giving them to him. Um, shortly after Micah's time here with Israel, about 20, 25 years later, the nation of Assyria comes in and just wipes Israel out, just desolates the whole area um, because Israel did not listen to the things that Micah and other prophets were saying at the time. They just did not hear what Micah was telling them and warning them about. And so about 25 years, years later, Syria or Assyria comes in and just wipes them out. So Micah says here in chapter 7, he laments at the very beginning and says, woe is me. As the very first verse here of, of Micah chapter 7, as a prophet of God and following the Lord, he is distraught over the condition of the people of God, over the condition of the nation of Israel. And he goes on to talk about how there's no one good in this nation. He says that when he looks across the nation of Israel, there's, just, there's nothing good happening. There are no good people. There are no good things. Everything is evil. Everything is wicked. And it's depressing to him. And as he is saying, whoa, it's, it's, he knows what's coming. The Lord has told him what's coming. And he knows if Israel doesn't repent, it won't end well. And so as he looks around his nation, he talks about all the things that are, that are just heavy on his heart and, and against what God is saying. He talks about the best people that exist in this time are like a briar. They're like sharp thorns. So when you think of a briar or sharp thorns, the no good thoughts come from those things. It's like, oh, I can't wait to grab that bunch of roses, just grab it with your hand, right? Because the thorns are so fun. I love thorns. I just like grabbing them and just as hard as I can squeezing Right? Thorns cause pain. They're, they're bad. They're good for the rose. But for us that are trying to grab them, they hurt. And Micah is saying the people here, even the, the, the best of the people in Israel are like briars and sharp thorns. It's a very, very sad picture that he, that he paints. He's saying friends are not trustworthy. If you go on to read the whole chapter, he talks about friends that you have. You can't trust your own friends because they're going to betray you. They're out for themselves. They're looking out for themselves and what they can get and how they can profit and what they can do better. And so even their friends are not trustworthy. Can you imagine thinking of your best friends in this room if you couldn't trust them because they're out to take advantage of you? 
Those aren't friends, but those are the friends that they have here. He even then goes on to talk about people within the own, your own house. He's saying fathers and children, mothers and mothers-in-law and children, sons and daughters-in-law, you, they are enemies. He uses the words enemies within your own home. This is how bad it is in Israel. This is how bad it is among God's people that even the people within their own home, not only can you not trust your friends, you've got to look out for your family members being willing to turn you in, being willing to do whatever they can do to get something from you. I mean, Israel's in a bad spot. And Micah's not just talking about those people, the, the, the unsaved or not Israel that live in Israel. He's talking about the Israelite people themselves. So as we look across our nation, right, as Christians, we say, man, we're in a bad spot. Look at all the bad things that are happening in our nation. We, you know, you can go back. It's not just this year or the last 10 years. You can see the progression of our country as we continue to push God out and accept what we want and everything that we desire as a nation. And we could say as Christians, but I can't believe how bad this country is getting and forget that uh, God points at us and how bad we are getting and how the Christians, and that's Micah's point here, even the Israelites, they aren't good either. And God often points out and talks to nations about walking in evil and wicked and not walking after his paths but he also talks to his people about doing the same thing because how often do we get caught up in the world we live in and live for the things of this world and we don't we often forget that the lord is our number one not the world and we 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 work for money we work for gain we work for as much as we can and put everything and all that we are into this present earth and forget sometimes we give God our leftovers. We come to church this morning and we dress up. We get nice dress up. We put on a, a happy face. We're kind. Or we ignore people. We avoid so you don't have to interact, right? All you introverts, okay. Uh, but we come and we do our best. And we try to, to be happy and glorify God. And then we go home this afternoon and we take a nap after we eat, right? And we crash on the couch for a couple hours. And then hopefully we come back tonight and we do it again put our ties back on, comb our hair, those of us that have hair, and we come back in. Sorry, that was unnecessary. I apologize. Just make sure you're awake. Just make sure you're still awake. I have hair, so I should be careful. You never know what might happen. Um, but we get dressed, and we come back in, and we, we get all, we preach, and we sing, and we have fun, and then we go home, and we're tired. We go to bed, and we wake up tomorrow, and we got to go to work, right? And then our real life starts, right? Because then we got Monday through Friday that we have to do our real job, we have to live our real life. We have to pay our real bills, right? And we have to do all the real things in our life that are really the real things. And we kind of be like, all right, Sunday's done. Real life is starting, right? And that's what Micah is saying. Israel, you're, you're living for the world. And, if, and that, that can be our attitude sometimes. And I'll be honest with you, that's my attitude sometimes, right? That's what I do. And I, I imagine we probably all do that sometimes, and we go to Monday and it's our real life and we forget and we leave behind everything that was preached on Sunday. Everything that the Lord spoke to us, to our heart about on Sunday, we kind of forget about it. And we live our real life. And God's, in Micah, God through Micah says, even our, my good people, even my people are like briars because they're living for themselves. They're doing what they want to do. And it's real easy for us as Americans to look at America and say how bad it is and forget to look inwards. 
prophet here, Micah, as he continues on, he says in his kind of despair that he's going to look to God because God, God will hear him. Like the song said this morning, Jesus never fails. So Micah says when everything around him is, is evil, continually, even the best people. I mean, it talks about how the, the leaders, the government leaders and magistrates will take bribes to do whatever you want. You pay me enough, I'll make the, the ruling be whatever you want it to be. That's the leadership and the leaders in, in the nation at that time. So he's saying everything around me is just bad. It's terrible. It's depressing. It's not what God wants. And as a prophet, he knows what God is going to do. And it's, he's almost in despair here. But then he remembers that the Lord is, the Lord is God. Right? And he says when everything around him is, e is evil continually, the Lord is still God. And he looks to the Lord. And what does he say? When he looks to the Lord, the Lord reminds him of the iniquity in his own heart. And it reminds him of the sin that he has. And so God hates sin. We know this, right? God hates sin. Even your sin. Even my sin. God doesn't just hate the sin of the world, right? The sin of, as we like them out there, the people that aren't us, right? The non-believers, them, us high and mighty believers. God hates ours. God hates your sin. God hates my sin. Just as much as he hates the sin of the world and the evil that we would define as evil, God hates the evil in our hearts. But we often will kind of wash that away as we're good. We're saved. It's okay. But God says he hates our sin just as much as he hates any sin because sin is sin. But we often try to minimize our sin. There, I was doing some studying and I read some Matthew Henry. He had a really good quote here, so I'm going to read this quote. And you know it's not me because it's too eloquent to be things that I would say, the words that come out of my mouth. Uh, but he says, when we complain to God of the badness of our times. And again, this is Matthew Henry, hundreds of years ago. When we complain to God of the badness of our times, we ought to complain against ourselves for the badness of our own hearts. And how often have you found yourself praying here in the last few years about God, heal our nation. God, please take away this evil from our country and help us be a God-fearing, God-seeking nation again and forget to complain about and pray about God help me to see the evil in my heart, to seek out the badness and the wickedness that's in my mind and in my heart and drive that from me. Because if we are supposed to be that salt and that light, right, that stands out, that, that exemplifies who God is and shows who God is through who we are, then we have to purge that from our hearts. You know, and as I, you grow up, right, I grew up in a Christian home and, and you learn about the Bible at an early age and you get to be like, these guys here over, are over here. A couple of mine just woke up. That's why I'm using them as an example. Hi, guys. As they get to, guys, not the girls. You guys are fine. Front row, staying awake, real good. Gentlemen, no. When you grow up and you get to be a teenager and, and someone preaches about sin and wickedness, and as you start to understand the world a little bit more as a teenager, and you see the, the world and the sin that's out there, and the devil tries to use that to entice you, and you start to think about, well, maybe this isn't so bad. Maybe I could do that. I wonder what this is about, what this is like. That evil in your heart, and you feel like when the preacher gets up, and he's like, man, he's always yelling about me, about the sin I'm doing, about the wickedness I'm doing. I'm, I'm a good kid. I'm just, you know, I'm just interested. I just wonder. And we think as adults, well, that's, you know, that's teenagers. That's what they do. Teenagers always get into trouble, right? They're disrespectful. You guys awake? 
I'm getting very evil stares from the teenage boys over here. Not you guys, the other teenage groups, not you. You guys are very respectful, very obedient to your parents. But we as adults think teenagers, that's how they are. But as adults, we're not, we've moved past that. We aren't disrespectful, right? When the guys cut us off coming down 229, we are not disrespectful. We pray for them, right? When our boss asks us to stay later, when we're the one that's done all the work up to this point already, and Bob over here, he's not doing, sorry, Bobby, not you. Bob over here, he's, he's slacking off, but he gets to go home early. Those thoughts about your boss at that moment, those aren't disrespectful. Those are God-honoring, right? And glorifying to God and praising God the thoughts we have about our boss as we pray for him that God will give him a good night off as he goes home, right? Or our spouse, when maybe they don't do exactly what we want them to do, Maybe they do that one thing that really annoys us, and they know it annoys us, but they did it anyway. And that emotion that wells up inside where you just want to kind of say something a little to them. It's just me? Nobody else? Okay. Right. Those thoughts, those feelings, that day-to-day life of getting along with people and our relationships with, with our spouse, with our children, with our boss, with our coworkers, with our friends. Those little things that are selfish, that are fleshly, those are the things God's talking about. Those are the sins that are in our hearts that if we let them go, they, they go the same direction that the big sins go in the world. Sin is sin, and God hates sin even in his own people. But we know, like Micah does, and like he said here, that God... And his people, or the church, the saved, we're victors in the end. Right? No matter how bad this world gets, and guess what? Uh, spoiler alert, it's going to get worse. You know, you look back when I was a kid and how things were, and here we are 30 years later from me being a kid, and I think 30 years more now when my kids are my age, how will the world be then? If we continue on the path that we are and we don't have revival in this nation and turning back to God, which... I mean, God can do anything, but at this point, we're not heading that direction. Our face is not that way. What's the world going to be like in 30 years from now? What will be acceptable? What good will be called evil? And what evil will be called good? That's the direction we're in and we're heading to. So it could, it's going to get worse if, if the Lord doesn't come back. But we do know when everything is over, when God does come back, when Jesus comes back to this earth for the second time, he's not coming to die on the cross. He's come to take us home and to set up his kingdom. And that's what we look forward to. That's what we desire for, right? And hopefully, we, as I find as I get older, right? I'm in my 40s now. I find as I get older, I kind of hope that happens sooner rather than later. I remember as a teenager and, you know, being engaged, especially, I did not want that to happen. Lord, you could wait a few years. Can I get married first, right? Can I grow up? I'm a teenager. Can I live my life? I don't want the Lord to come back quite yet. I have so many things I want to do. But the older I get, I realize how trite and small that is. Not to say what you want to do is small or to belittle you, but to understand the, our desires in this world, that our fleshly desires are so small compared to what God has in store. You realize it, we, we'll live in his kingdom for eternity. It's not, we're not just going to be sitting on, a harp strum, or sitting on a cloud strumming a harp with wings coming out, right? Like that's, Tom and Jerry got that part wrong, right? That's not what heaven's like. <laughs> Heaven, you live your life. You are you with your glorified body, no sin, no imperfections, no glasses, 
Heath, you'll have all your hair back. Everything will be great. <laughs> Everything's perfect the way God intended it for, for it to be. And you will live your life forever with the Lord in his perfect kingdom, the way he wanted it to be from Genesis. That is going to happen. No war, no sin, no frustrations, no heaviness, perfectness. And you will live there if you're saved forever. That's the end goal. That's what God is going to do. We know that. It's not like, oh, I hope this happens. God says that is exactly what it's going to be when his time is right, when he is ready for that to happen. So we, as Christians, need to live with that as our future, right? When you have a future or you want something, you plan for it. You, you stockpile money, you do if you want to buy a house, if you want to buy a car, if you want to graduate college, you make plans and you live accordingly. When you understand what your future is, when this life on this earth is over and you have your future in heaven, you will live your life accordingly. You will live your life different. The eternal things will matter a lot more than the, the temporal. But we forget that as Christians. I forget that as a Christian all the time. And I live for the temporal. And when we do that, this is, this is the, the end result of what Micah is saying, what happens with the world when we live for the temporal and we live for today. But it ends, ends very well, as we read there in verse number 18. So he understands when we get to the end, as we do, that God does win. So with that in mind, as we get to verse number 18, this now I'm going to start preaching. Okay, you ready? That was all introduction. Oh boy, everyone says, sigh. Our stomach already starts to grumble. It's almost lunchtime, but here's the important part. It's all important, but here's, the, here's the, the punch today, right? Here's the meat of the message that I want to, I feel like the Lord wants me to bring for you. Verse number 18, let's read it again. You still got your Bibles open? If you don't, let's get it open. Verse number 18 of Micah chapter 7. Now think about this a little bit more now that we read it this time. Who is a God like unto thee? The answer is none, right? There is no God like our God. Why? That pardoneth iniquity so that iniquity we talked about that the nation of Israel has that the nation of America has that you have in your heart God pardons that iniquity continuing on he says uh, and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage so they're talking about the Israelites there but it applies to us as his church too he pardons our iniquity he passes by our transgression he retaineth not his anger forever we're supposed to be like God, right? We're supposed to emulate him. He gives us examples on how to live. He says, be ye holy for I am holy. God retains not his anger forever. If anyone's dealing with bitterness, struggling with anger towards anyone, God himself, who is just in being angry at sin, retains it not. He lets it go. Continuing on, because, and this is, my, this is, where, this is where the Lord just like, Slap me in the face with it, I guess. I don't know. Hugged me with it probably better than slap. Slap sounds bad. Uh, because why? He delighteth in mercy. So if I were to have a title for this message, it'd be delight in mercy. The Lord delighteth in mercy. That means he wants to be merciful. He delights to be merciful. What's the definition of mercy? Mercy. We know mercy. We know grace. Mercy from Webster's Dictionary is compassion, or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. I'll read it one more time. Compassion or forgiveness shown, shown towards someone 
whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. So the Lord has all right by justification to punish and harm us for the sin and iniquity in our heart. He is just in doing so. Sending, he doesn't send us to hell. Our sins send us to hell. That's the punishment for sin. There is no other punishment. It is just that those without Christ that have sin in their life and are trying to get to heaven on their own merit, their own life, which we are desperately wicked, that sin has a punishment and that punishment is hell. That's the only punishment fit and just for sin. And we are justified to be going there if it weren't for God's mercy. Amen. He delights in mercy. He, he longs to be merciful. You know, the world will tell you, those that try to discredit the Bible say, well, God's just the angry God and wants to send people to hell. He wants, no, this could be further from the truth. The Lord wants everyone to be saved. He delights in mercy. He wants to be merciful. He wants, he's, he's standing there with the best gift you've ever received in your entire life. And he's just begging for you to take it. He can't force it upon you. He can't make you take the gift of salvation. You have to accept it from him. But he's begging you to do it. He wants you. He shows you every way possible in his word, in creation, through people. Take my gift, please. I don't want you to go to hell. That's what the Lord is saying. He just begs you. He delights. He wants to give you mercy. He, he, has, it, he enjoys it. Think of the things that delight you, things that are fun, things that give you happiness. That's how the Lord feels when he forgives and, and forgives your sin. He, he delights in being merciful unto us as his people and unto the world. That's his goal. And we're his people, and you would think that we'd be good. Knowing what God has done for us, you'd think that as Christians we would be good people because we understand what God has done for us. But that's not always the case, is it? We don't always treat our spouse the way we should. Husbands, you don't always love your wife like Christ loved the church. Huh. That's a hard love to live up to. You understand that means how much Jesus loves you is how you are supposed to love your wife. And that just doesn't mean passively either. right? That's an agape, deep, unconditional love. And husbands, that's how you're supposed to treat your wife. Did you do that this week? I'm guessing you probably failed somewhere along the line. But God delights to give us that mercy. He wants to those things. And we have sin in our life. You'd think we, were, we would be good because of who he is, but it's not always the case. We have spots that often offend our Father. We have sin that offends our Lord. We know that sin offends him. He doesn't like sin. He hates it. But we do it. Right? Those, that music, guys, that we listen to, the, the ungodly music that does not glorify and lift him up, he hates it, but we listen to it anyway. The language that we sometimes allow to come out of our mouths, maybe not the words we use, well, I don't cuss, but the angry, hurtful words that come out of our mouths sometimes, God hates that, but we do it anyway. The pride that's in our hearts that thinks that we've got it all figured out, you can't tell me how to fix things because I know better, God hates that pride, but we have it anyway. And sometimes we thrive on it. Sometimes it let, we let it define us. We're proud about our pride, if we can be that way. And then we continue, and we live that way. But God, knowing, as Christians, that God hates that pride about us. So we aren't so perfect. We aren't so good. But God is gracious, and he is ready 
to pass by and pardon our iniquity and transgressions upon our repentance, right? God wants to forgive us, but we have to repent. We have to understand, yes, I am sinful and want to change. As his people, the Lord wants to forgive us. He wants to pass by that iniquity. He wants to pardon that iniquity, but we have to be willing to change and see our sin and want to repent from it and turn away from it and put it out of our life. Now you may fail and bring it back in, but then turn it away again. And God wants to be merciful. He wants to give us that mercy. We are pardoned. Once you accept that gift I talked about earlier, once you accept that gift of salvation, you're pardoned. You're on your way to heaven. That can never change. Once God saves you, he saves you forever. No matter what you do, you can accept the salvation and live your life for you the rest of your years and he'll still take you to heaven because he follows through and honors his promises. But once we're pardoned, we can still sin and God wants us to live for him. He wants us to glorify him with our lives. Your marriage, husbands and wives, your marriage, God wants your marriage to be an example of his word. He wants your marriage to be an example of his love for you, for us as the church. Does your marriage exemplify Christ's love of the church, Christ's relationship with us? Or does it have its own vision? Is it your vision of marriage? Your marriage should glorify God. That's a different view and a different view of your marriage. If you look at your marriage and how can I glorify God by the way I am as a husband? How can I glorify God by the way I am as a wife? It'll change you as a wife, it'll change you as a husband. How does your marriage glorify God? So when you're saved, God wants to pardon the sins we have in our life. He's ready to walk by them, to pass by them as it says. When God pardons our sin, he passes by it. He doesn't punish us as we justly should be. Neither does he deal with us according to, accordingly to what we deserve. When we sin, we deserve punishment. But in his mercy, he does not punish us justly when we repent for it. He delights in that mercy. He takes our sin, right? And this is throughout the entire Bible. He takes our sin and he casts it into the depths of the sea. Now, I've read that often as a, as a child and growing up. I'm like, that's a great illustration. But we just kind of gloss over it. Yep, depths of the sea. It's in songs and everything, right? But if I have a rock, everybody awake? Everybody awake? So I have a rock right here. Everybody can see that rock? It's a, it's a nice rock. came out of, uh, from the church here. I just stole it. <laughs> Actually, I had someone else steal it for me, so I can't be guilty. Uh, but yeah, so this is a rock from the church, right? And the Lord says our sin is like this rock. Or I have a really, so I, was, I went out golfing yesterday. First time this year. I like to golf. If you like to golf, let's talk. Um, but I went golfing. Didn't say I did it well, okay? Yeah, yeah. He was one of the ones I went golfing with. Uh, we went golfing, and, and you know, there's, there's ponds, right, and lakes at golf courses, water hazards throughout golf courses, right, always. And it's, see, it's a mental thing, right, when you're out there golfing. If you've got a sand trap or a water hazard, you're like, well, I'm it's, this, it's as big as the whole world because that's where my ball's going to go. You know, the green where I need to go is really tiny, and there's no way I'm going to make it there, but I'm going to hit that water hazard, even if it's not that big. It's in your mind, and that's where it's going to go. You think about it. So it's like if, if I took this stone... And I threw it into a lake. Or I, yesterday, um, I was golfing, and there was one golf, uh, it's par three. There's a little water hazard over here. And I'm like, don't hit the water, don't hit the water, don't hit the water, hit it left, don't hit the water. I even aimed a little further left, don't hit the water, don't hit the water. Okay, I'm not going to hit the water. Swing, great shot, straight up in the air. As it drifts right, I'm like, oh no. Oh, 
oh yeah, it's hitting the water. It's like it just down in the water from all the way back. Big old splash right up in the air. I was like, yep, hit the water. Just what I didn't want to do. And I could go looking for that golf ball, right? And it's a smaller pond, so I might be able to, I mean, I'm sure there are hundreds of golf balls at the bottom of that pond, no doubt. Mine being in there as well, it'd be difficult for me to find that. I'd have a hard time finding that, that golf ball. I'd find a bunch of golf balls. I don't know if I'd find mine. But another good example, too, and that just, again, it's just the Lord giving me something that applies to my life because it's real. Again, it's real. But it, uh, every summer I go to, back-to-back illustrations, wow. Every summer I go to Tennessee and see my wife's family in the summer, and there's a, a, a lake there called Lake Norris. And there's a dam there that they've dammed up the water, and it's basically, you're at the top of a bunch of mountains, um, it down there, it, what's the Smoky Mountains, right? So they're not like Rockies, but they're Smoky Mountains. And you're, this lake has been dammed up to where you're literally on the top of the water. You're at the top of these mountains. And it's 100 feet deep in some of these areas. So we're out on this pontoon boat with my father-in-law and mother-in-law and, and my kids. And we're out there and we go over and he's got a fish finder and a depth finder. And we go across this one area and he's like, it's over 100 feet deep here. 100 feet, do you realize how, that's deep, that's far down to the bottom of that lake. If I took this stone, and I just stood over the top of that pontoon at the 100 foot point, and I just went, you think I'm ever, ever, ever going to find that thing? Just assume I could hold my breath and go down there. I would never find that rock. Now God doesn't just say he drops it into the depths of the sea, he casts it. That means he stands at the shore, okay, and he chucks it as far as he can. That's why I dropped it and said chucking it. I didn't want Miss Sherilyn to dive under the pew as I chuck it back there. But he chucks our sin to the depths of the sea, meaning we, if we stood on the shore and I threw that rock to that 100-foot lake, there's definitely no way I'm going to find that now. If I were right above it, I might be able to track it. But if I'm at the shore and I throw it out there and it goes all the way to the bottom, am I ever going to find that one specific particular rock at the bottom of that 100-foot lake? Never. I'm never going to find that. And that's what God does to the sin that's in your life when you repent of it. He's merciful. He wants to be merciful. He doesn't just say, I'll just put it at the edge of the river here because I'll probably need to get it back again when you sin again. He says, no, I'll chuck it to the deepest part of the farthest lake where it goes away forever. That's what God does for us in our sin. Hebrews 8, 12 says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. God does that for you. Do you deserve it? Absolutely not. Do I deserve it? No way. I deserve to be judged for my sin. But God forgets it. He passes it by. Ezekiel 18.22 says, All his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. And then he died. God doesn't come back and say, Oh yeah, I got this rock out. You remember this? Remember when you did this? I do. Shoves it in your face like you do to a dog when they do wrong. Remember this? Don't do it again. God says he doesn't do that. He doesn't mention it to us again. When we repent, we turn from that sin. He takes that, he tosses it out, and he doesn't bring it back up to you. So if your past is haunting you, if the sins of your past are haunting you, God's not bringing those up to you. God's not coming and shoving that in your face. If you're saved... You've repented of your sin. You don't live that life anymore. You do your best to change and repent from that way of life, but it haunts you. And you feel like, well, I can't be used now because of my past. The sin that I've committed, 
oh, I can't be used. God will never use me. I can't tell other people about him because I've lived such a bad life. Who am I? That's not God bringing that up to your mind. That's the devil. That's your enemy. That's the one that hates you. That's the one that wants you to be destroyed. That's the one that doesn't want you to be used by God. He is the one that brings up your past. He is the one that brings up to your sin, to your remembrance, and says, see, remember what you did? Remember what you, you know what you're doing? You can't, God will never use you. Why do you even go to church? Who cares? It's not going to matter. You're just sinful anyway. That's not the Lord. That's the devil. Your enemy, the one that wants to destroy you. He's the one that brings those things up. God, your God, who is God like unto, you, unto thee? He delights in mercy. He delights in forgiveness. He wants to forgive. He actively seeks opportunities to give mercy and forgiveness. So if you're not saved, if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, you've not accepted that forgiveness for your sin, that, that has to be dealt with. Sin has to be dealt with. There's a punishment for it, and that's death and hell for all eternity. Separation from God. That's the penalty and the payment that has to be paid for sin. Now Jesus came to this earth, and he lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and paid for that sin through his blood. And that gift that I talked about earlier, all you have to do is accept that gift of his payment, and that payment goes on your account for your sin, and now your sin is paid for. And you're on your way to heaven for all eternity. If you do that, your sin debt is paid for. That doesn't mean you won't sin anymore. That means your eternity is settled, and you will spend eternity with, with the Lord. But we can still live our life with that sin in our life. We never get rid of that until heaven, unfortunately. It'll never go away. So if you're not saved, don't know that your penalty is paid for, that could be taken care of today. And I would urge you to do so. But for those of us that are saved, you know that, you've accepted that gift, and you see, through what we just saw, how mercy is given and how God wants to give mercy. How, how is mercy in your life? You've, ex you've gotten mercy from the Lord. If no one else, you've gotten mercy from the Lord. Again, let's remember what's mercy's definition again and apply this to today and your life and not just you and what God has done for you, but you and the person sitting next to you, you and the person across the auditorium, you and that person at work that you just don't really get along with. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. So has someone done you wrong unjustly and it's well within your right and well within the, the balance of right and wrong to let them have it, to treat them a certain way because of what they've done to you. It's within your power to kind of bring justice upon them or treat them a certain way or talk to them a certain way. Remember, mercy's definition. Let's, talk, let's see what God says to us as Christians about how we treat other Christians. And this is another way that if you were here Wednesday night, and I implore you if you weren't here to be here on Wednesday nights, pastor talking about picking our battles, right? I didn't know he was going to preach that. I haven't talked to him. He said he really didn't even want to preach that. But I didn't know he was going to preach that when I had working on this message, but they, they work together, right? He talked about how we pick our battles and our, you know, is it really something that it's in our place to go and do and set straight Ephesians 4.32 says, And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now I could just go, I have a few verses listed here, and I could add dozens more. But as I read these verses and go through them, think about your life. Think about 
you and showing mercy to others. We really want mercy shown to us. We don't want to be punished for things that maybe we deserve. We want, it, we want mercy, not just from God, but from people in our life. We want people to give us the benefit of the doubt, right? We want people to, to give us a little slack. Cut me a little slack, man, right? Even when we make mistakes, we want people to cut us slack. When our spouse, when we mess up and we, we offend our spouse, we're like, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry. Forgive me, I'm sorry. And we want them to forgive us. We want them to accept our apologies. But how are we at showing mercy to other people around us? How are we about delighting to forgive? Delighting to take someone who maybe justly or unjustly hurt us and they should be punished. How, how aptly and readily are we to go and forgive them and show them mercy? And that just doesn't mean, oh, I forgive you, but I'll never forget. Right? That's not mercy. That's not forgiveness. Mercy we talked about and forgiveness God gave us was chucking that rock into the depths of the sea and not bringing it up again. Not mentioning it to us again. But we are not so good at that. And we think that that's okay. And that's the problem. Luke 6.31 says, As ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. The golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We tell our children that when they're fighting with their, 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 their siblings, right? When little Johnny smacks Susie on the head with a Lego and she cries and gets mad and we have to tell Johnny, would you want Susie to hit you on the head with a Lego? And he says, well, of course not, right? And we let Susie hit him on the head and say, see? No, we don't do that. That's bad parenting. So again, making sure you're awake. But we teach them, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Or when they are mistreated at school, Right When they're bullied, when they're made fun of, and we have to explain to them why people do that, and we have to explain to them why it's not okay for them to do that, why they're supposed to treat others better, that's biblical, right? Our public schools do the same thing. They have these bullying programs, and they, they, they take Bible principles, unbeknowing to them, and they try to implement them about treating others the way you want to be treated, or even treating them better, like the Bible says, than you want to be treated. John 15, 12. Jesus speaking, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He was talking to his people. We are his people. We are his children. God, the Lord, Jesus, the man, God tells his people and tells us that we're supposed to love each other like he loves us. How are you doing in that? If you're like, yeah, good, pretty good. Loving everybody. Okay, sure, if you say so. I know when I look at my life, I know I fail in many areas. Again, I'll bring it right back to your spouse. I fail often because I'm not perfect. But that's not an excuse. The Lord tells us, love one another. So when someone does you wrong, when someone treats you unfairly, how ready are you to give mercy? How ready are you to forgive? Romans 12.10, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, ready? preferring one another. That means I care about what you need and want more than myself. That means spouse, I, I care about your desires, your needs, your wants more than mine. Brother, sister, I care about your wants, your desires more than mine. Coworker, boss, employee, friend, fellow acquaintance, stranger, I care about your wants more than mine. 
if we all lived in a way that we went about trying to please other people more than ourselves, can you imagine the world, can you imagine the church we would have? Can you imagine how, how closer we would be? And I think we're all pretty nice to each other. No one's ever been mean to me here. If you were mean, you didn't tell me to my face, and that's fine, you keep it that way. But uh, <laughs> we're pretty close-knit. You know, we've been, I've been going here for quite a while now, and I, I've, I've never had anyone be mean to my face. And just, you know, nothing like that. So I feel like we're all pretty close, but can you imagine if we, if we intentionally, on purpose, esteemed each other more? If I wanted to look out more for what you wanted and actively sought out a way to bless you over myself. And if we all did that for each other, if you did that for the person in the pew behind you, across the room, if we all sought out ways to seek each other's desires and try to fulfill those, and bless them, how much happier you would be as the person doing, and how much just more fulfilled we would be by following God's word. 1 Peter 3, it says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Here we go. Be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil. In other words, giving mercy or railing for railing, but contrawise blessing. Being merciful one to another, giving each other the benefit of the doubt cutting each other some slack, holding accountable when sin is there, yes, but when repentance is there and apology for maybe wrongdoing, forgiving like that. Not expecting them to live up to something or fulfill a certain list of things and then I'll forgive and give mercy, but immediate mercy. Colossians 3, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. You guys know that's in the Bible. It's in your lap, right? Like those verses have always been there. It's not something new. Like this is something God has been telling us since forever. But how often do we fail in that area? I mean, it's, it's very specific on what we are supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. And it's very real. It's very real to your life. It, it, it applies to you, regardless of where you live, where your situation is right now. This verse applies to you, 100%. And you can affect change in your life by how you treat people and how quickly are, you are to give mercy, how ready you are to forgive. And when you do those things, you follow God's word. You obey him. And you honor him and you glorify him with your life. And when you obey God and when you follow God and follow his plan, I said this in Sunday school this morning, things always work out. Always. Always. Never fails. Jesus never fails. Right back to it. When you follow him, when you obey him, when you do what he says to do in these verses and dozens more, he always follows through. He always blesses. God blesses obedience. And when we are, as Christians, ready to forgive, ready to show mercy, God will bless you for the mercy you are willing to give. They may not even be willing to receive it, but that's not your job. Your job is to give it. Your job is to offer it. Many won't receive the gift that Jesus has offered, but it's, he's, he's there offering it to them. It's up to them to make that decision. So as I close here this morning, God delights in mercy. He delights in it. As, your, as his child, 
How are you doing in mercy? Do you begrudgingly do it? Do you hate to do it? Do you delight in it? He's thrown our sins to the bottom of the sea. And if you haven't accepted Christ still, as I mentioned earlier, you could do so today. We're going to have, I think Brother Sam is going to come up. We're going to have some invitation played. Our heads will be bowed, our eyes will be closed, music will be played. If you feel the Holy Spirit pushing you right now, feel that feeling in the pit of your stomach that you're just like bothered. It could be the Holy Spirit talking to you. If you don't know that you're on your way to heaven right now, today, you can come forward. No one will be looking. Someone will take the Bible, they'll take you out, and they'll show you how you can know and take that gift, accept that gift, and never have to have that feeling about your sin ever again. Do that today. Christian, how much mercy have you been given in your life? You're saved. You've been given more mercy than you can imagine. But think about people in your life that have given you mercy throughout your life. Remember when you were young, like these guys over here, and we made mistakes, and we weren't punished the way we should have been? We were given mercy by our parents, by our authority figures. We were given a warning instead of that speeding ticket. Mercy. How often have you been given mercy in your life, and then how do you delight in mercy giving it in your life? Stand with me, if you would, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.